Welcome to Baby Wearing and Breastfeeding, Nurturing Miracles, a podcast dedicated to the unique challenges and joys of parenting medically complex kids. Each week, we'll engage in discussions relevant to all parents navigating their children's illnesses. I'm your host, Megan Pa, a lactation consultant and mom to a medically complex child, here to share insights and support on this nurturing journey. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Baby Wearing and Breastfeeding, the podcast where we do a deep dive into everything about baby wearing and breastfeeding, specifically tailored to our medically complex kids. Um, Lots of good stuff in all of these episodes that apply to any family or any child going through bouts of illness. I'm your host. My name is Megan, and I am a lactation consultant, a mom to four. Um, One of my kiddos is medically complex, so that is why I'm very passionate about this topic. I am also the owner of Baby, so I'm also very passionate about baby wearing. So that is how all of this came about, baby wearing, breastfeeding, medically complex kids, and sharing with all of you how those things have really helped me um, in my journey as a parent to a medically complex child, and just hoping that you guys get a lot of good stuff from these episodes. So today we're going to be talking to a licensed mental health therapist and I cannot stress how excited I am about this episode. It's literally like one of the most important topics that we can cover. So um, we're going to we're going to hit it hard. We're going to go right into it. The mental health therapist we're going to be talking to today is Sultana Karim, and she has been a therapist for 12 years and she is also a mom herself. So Sultana, thank you so much for fitting me in. I'm really, really yes. excited. I like literally cannot stress how important this topic is um, because if it's just like Everybody has been on, well, most people have been on a plane. You know, you've got to put your oxygen mask on first before you attend to your kids. And so I've lived it, you know, lots of moms out there have lived it without even having the additional layer of a child with a medical complexity. So again, just thrilled. Can you tell me what, what was your interest? What led you into wanting to be a mental health therapist? actually my own experience. So I experienced childhood um, trauma and then some trauma in my adulthood. And I've had therapists throughout my life. And I was like, oh, it like some of the skills came innately to me. And I was, so I decided to take a class in high school. It was a psychology and sociology class and I loved it. So that's kind of the segue <laughs> into my career. Yeah, that's really good, man. Those those yeah. psych classes in high school and college were really interesting. Mm-hmm. I really like that you um, shared that. Of course, like I think most of us, when we find our careers that we're good in, it's coming from a place of like passion. Do you know what I mean? Like you mm-hmm. lived it yourself, mm-hmm. and so you are passionate about being of service to others. I th- I, I think I find that we're starting to get past a lot of the stigmas of saying, hey, yeah, I, I'm seeing a counselor and I'm seeing a therapist for this issue. And I, that makes me really happy that we're getting past these stigmas. So, um, you know, I remember going in and out of um, counseling. Actually, we did family counseling growing up um, mm-hmm. when my parents were getting divorced and then my mom was getting divorced again from my stepdad. And I felt like it was helpful, but I definitely like that was not talked about. It's been a long time. It's been a long yeah. time, but it, it was not talked about. It's not talked about. Like, yeah, it was, and while. that was the thing. There's that 
big stigma. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like it's still really difficult for women to seek counseling for themselves because of a stigma? And what, what are your suggestions to getting past it? Um, I think it's a combination of stigma and societal and cultural expectations of what it is to be a mother. Because the idea, a lot of people, especially the clients that come see me, is like, well, I have to juggle it all, but you can't juggle it all and attend to yourself. And everything's going to collapse <laughs> because you didn't tend to yourself. Um, so I do a lot of education of why it's important to attend to your mental health. Because oftentimes people say, oh, I can give to other people. I can mm -hmm. keep it compassionate to them. But to myself, it's hard. And I was like, yeah, we all have that automatic thoughts that tend to be negative sometimes. And it's do we get wrapped up in those thoughts that essentially impacts our feelings and how we behave and essentially becomes a pattern of our own behaviors. And can we stop, can we intervene being aware? Like we can't control initially our automatic thoughts that come up our automatic reaction. But once we are aware of it, we can make a change. So like, for example, if you believe that I'm, I'm a bad mom, identify ways that you are a good mom yeah. and how you wake up every single day, taking care of your little one, go and take a shower for yourself to refresh. <laughs> feed yourself. What I hear you suggesting is like, that's such a good tool mm -hmm. is flip the script. Mm -hmm. If you recognize that you're having this cyclical thought pattern, like I'm a bad mom, because God, I feel like we learn guilt as little girls. <laughs> we learn guilt mm -hmm. as little girls because yes. we are taught at such a young age to be everything for everybody else mm -hmm. and not ourselves. But if you catch yourself in that negative thought pattern, flip that script in your head. Mm -hmm. And then the next thing it sounds like, because it's to me, mental health or let's say taking care of yourself, right? Yeah. Is a two part thing. I, that's how I think about it. I'm not sure if this is right. Not definitely want to hear your feedback. Yeah. I think it's a two part thing because I think it's the mind, but then I also think of actions. So I think of, okay, in my mind, I need to change what my voice is saying to myself, but then I need to physically move. And like, like you said, take a shower or go for a walk. Like my, I need to do a task, you know, whether that's physical or whether it's just writing journaling, but like, it's a two part thing. What would you, what would you as a therapist, like, how do you approach it, you know, for, from your standpoint, like when you're sitting in counseling with a, a patient, do you come at it like it's a two-part thing or are there any other approaches that you take that kind of help parents stop in their track? And um, so I kind of think it as multidimensional because hmm. so I look at mental health and wellness in a bigger yeah. spectrum because they all intersect each other Ooh, yeah. <laughs> in terms of like, you may be emotionally down but you can switch, you can choose to engage in physical activity, which will increase your mood and increase your behaviors outwardly. Yep. Whole body approach. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Right. Oh, uh, and so absolutely. So multidimensional was, is that the word that you used, right? Mm -hmm. Multidimensional. Perfect. Yes. Right. Because yeah. man, it's like, that's, 
much more concise and, and um, makes sense to me because when you start getting your body moving, then your body releases endorphins and oxytocin and then you, yep. that helps the mood. Yep. So that's a really good approach. I like that a lot. And I'm just curious cause I don't, I, you know, I don't know this from like a therapist standpoint, but is there like a technique that you use, like a way that you were trained in school and that's the approach that you <coughs> Um, it and what are the techniques nowadays that therapists are using because I do know that like talk therapy is one and then like what are some of the other things what do you use what are the pros and the cons of each uh, approach so I'm trained in a lot of stuff <laughs> all the things yeah awesome. um, so I tend to be very integrative in my approach depending on my client um, I come from a very much trauma lens so I'm looking at what happened to that person and what are the factors that play a role into what the symptoms they're exhibiting at this moment? And then how's it impacting their interactions with others? How's it impacting their social um, environment? How's it impacting their own like hygiene and physical being? So it depends on what they wanna work on. So I do use, utilize EMDR, which stands mm. for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. So when someone experiences a traumatic or distressing event, um, EMDR is used to help a person process that trauma. Um, so, cause oftentimes trauma is stuck in the body and stuck in the mind. And what EMDR does is bring that connection back together. So is that anything like tapping? Remember, I've heard of tapping. Like, is that yes. fall into that or is that something yeah. different? Um, it's one of a, the, the different types of bilateral stimulation. So some people can do like butterfly taps, yeah. tap their hands, there's eye movement, there's audio. I do have um, buzzers that will buzz on each side too. And what does that do? Like, if, does it does it help break up the the thought pattern because you're you're doing you're introducing stimuli, physical stimuli? Does is that how it works? So like, you introduce physical stimuli and it breaks up the thought pattern, or am I like way off base? How does it work? It works by one grounding the person in this present moment by whatever bilateral bilateral <laughs> stimulation of the word um, and processing the trauma at the same time. So it's like almost having one foot in the past and one foot in the mm -hmm. present and processing the the high distressing experience that they had related to that that situation that's impacting them today. So is it more of an integration? Like um, if, yeah. yes. Okay. So I. I often ask them like um, what is the image that pops up in your head when you think about that traumatic stressing event what is the negative thoughts you have mm -hmm. what feelings come up for you where do you where's it located in your body oftentimes people put the chest the lower back the shoulders and sometimes the jaw <laughs> interesting now okay now i'm curious too with where people hold it in their body is that unique to them or would it be like is it women, let's say, typically hold it here. Like I, I think of women holding it here in their shoulders and their chest, and then maybe men are in their back. I don't know. Is it, is there any um, It's kind not of... by, yeah, it's not by gender. It's more so it's like just how they, yeah. yeah. Okay. So mostly it's the jaw, shoulders, chest, sometimes the back of the head or the sides mm. of the head, um, lower back. Yeah, and that's it, I think. Some people yeah. do hold it in their stomach, just depends on 
where they are. Yeah. If they're pregnant, there's some level of like yeah. <laughs> determining yeah. if it's actually attention because of stress or it's attention because you have a developing fetus in your body. Yeah. Okay. So I want to wrap my brain around this. I'm very mm -hmm. curious and I want to know how you would approach it because for parents out there with medically complex children, what I'm imagining because I've been there myself is that mm -hmm. your day-to-day -day life is just your day-to-day -day life. Like, yes, it can be a struggle and difficult, but there are moments that have happened that are like, almost cause you PTSD, right? Like for example, um, and I'm, I'll use my, I've talked to lots of moms, but it's my, I'll use my story to tell. So my, the, the moment I will never forget is being in the hospital when my son was only a week old and one of the physicians coming in and saying that, you know, your son most likely has to have a kidney transplant before he's one, but mm. we can't do it until they're 22 pounds. And then the guy left. <laughs> and so wow. me and my husband are sitting there like, oh, so you just basically told us you think our kid's going to die. You know, mm. it was horribly traumatic, like yeah. instant sobbing from both of us, you know, and um, even though I very was able to recoup from that really fast because I realized like, okay, I'm missing a piece. Like clearly they're not just going to be like, go home and, you know, well wishes, yeah. <laughs> you know, clearly like there's some other treatment options. And, but so it, I was able to recoup from it fast, but it's never left my body. I can, I can think about that moment and instantly, like you said, it is like a elephant on my chest. Like it's just so big and my brain knows that it's over. My brain knows that my kid's doing fantastic, like better than he should. He's my miracle. And that's why I call this podcast baby wearing and breastfeeding miracles. Cause he's a miracle. Yeah. But so with my story, what like, if I, if I were sitting in your office and you were to say, okay, let's process that in one moment. Like, would I tell you the story and then like start tapping? How would that work? Um, it, well, with EMDR, you don't necessarily have to tell me everything. Yeah. Um, and you can just, there will be, so let me back up. Before we do EMDR, I will give you resources. Resources is coping skills because we're going to, deal with high stress and distressing situations. Um, and I want to make sure that you're prepared for what we're going to do before we go into it. Mm, that's good. Yeah. Um, so you're then, prepping moms before you even do the big mm -hmm. stuff. I love yeah. Because yeah. there's often a misconception like, oh, I want to do EMDR and we're going to get right in it. No, Yeah. I don't want you to just re-experience trauma. And I want yeah. you to get some education first of like, how does your body respond to the distressing or traumatic event? What mm. happens to your brain? Because often talks about flip the lid and mm. noticing when you're dysregulated, you're at a flight flight or anxiety or fear is happening and what you need to regulate your system. And this And the same goes for like EMDR. We, we do a lot of time in that preparation phase before we move into the next step of processing the trauma. That's really piece. interesting. Okay. So there's a lot of prep work that goes into it. And I imagine when you say that it's going to, the amount of prep work you're going to have to do is going to be very case by case basis. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, like, which also case by case basis is going to be so multi-layered. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. yep. Um, so that's really interesting. So you're really having to evaluate the entire scenario. And then once you do start it, is there any like, okay, I'm just throwing this out there. Is there like, let's say you do four of those sessions or is there a number of sessions that you do and do they build on one another 
Or, you know, is it just like, "Mm, we need like this many times before it sinks in? Like, how does that work? Um, So after we do the preparation, we'll move into the assessment and desensitizing phase where, like I was mentioning earlier of identifying the picture, the negative thought, and all those different components. And we'll do multiple sets of bilateral stimulation in session. And we'll, I often will check after each session of like, uh, each set of bilateral stimulation of like, what's coming up for you. And then we'll continue until the end of our session. Some people I can complete in one session. Other people, we may have to end and always end with a coping skill and ways to take care of yourself and then reevaluate the next session of what came up for you. Because oftentimes with EMDR, you do a lot of work in session and then your your brain continues to process the trauma that we've been working on throughout the week. Yeah. And if oftentimes during that time period, I often say like, if something becomes too much or you start having suicidal ideation or homicidal ideation, contact me so we can debrief. Yeah. Make sure that you're stable and um, you're safe. Yeah. Yeah. And then move to the next session and redo it again. Cause sometimes we do one session, we are, our um, level of distress is maybe like a two or three, but you may come back in my next session with me and it's like a five. Yeah. And continue the process until well, life happens too. So it's mm-hmm. like you're working through things and then life happens and your kids get sick a week before Christmas and you've only gotten like two presents and you're not mm-hmm. finished shopping. And it's just like, all the things. So that makes complete sense. You know, as we were talking, one of the things that came up for me is that, um, you know, I, okay. I'm, I'm not out there saying that COVID was a good thing, but I do think that what COVID did was it helped put a spotlight on how important mental health is. Yes. Um, so, okay. I'm taking the sunshine and the rain, you know, like that, that was a good thing out of it. And I, I noticed, um, again, because this was my experience, that because COVID did a good thing, put a spotlight on mental health, that like, man, man, mental health workers, you guys, you, I don't know for you personally, but you seem really busy. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you yeah. seem really busy. And it yes. almost became a yes. thing where it's like, you know, you know that you need to cope through things to be the best parent that you can be. Mm-hmm. But um, I actually, right after COVID, found it really difficult to get in with a therapist because if I, you know, if you're not having suicidal ideation, like you're not their priority. Yeah. And um, I remember that was really difficult because at least, and I'm sure for a lot of people, like um, we went through a period where like that was difficult because we were having really big surgeries that year. And like, I'm yeah. like, oh my God, you know, like I need to talk to somebody to process yes. this. And yes. like, they're like, okay, we'll fit you in in three months. <laughs> yeah, it was. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, I'm, um, you know, do you fill up your schedule so much? Like, does it come to a thing where you're having to refer people out? Like what other resources? So let's just pretend that somebody is having a hard time finding a mental health therapist that they can talk to. Like we are talking face to face. What can you point them to? Like, do you point them to groups? Do you point them to like, I don't know, like on like, is there AI mental health online? I'm not sure. (laughs) What do you suggest? So I suggest for them to first look at their out-of-network benefits. 
um, because there's a trend currently that's happening in mental health where a lot of therapists are no longer being paneled with insurances um, for a lot of different reasons. But look, see if you have out-of-network benefits. Um, And if you have out-of-network benefits, you can see a provider who is considered out-of-network. And there's more of us out there (laughs) that's like, hey, let's educate about out-of-network benefits because essentially what it is, your insurance will reimburse you for your care up to their their level. Usually they have you meet their deductible first, and then there's a certain percentage that they will reimburse you for the care that you get. I just had a really wacky doodle thought. Um, And yes, I said wacky doodle people. Like I have four little kids. I say silly things. Are there like, are there, do you know of any kind of like grants for parents of like medically complex kids if they need to see a mental health therapist outside of their insurance? Because sometimes insurance doesn't even cover it. Yeah. Some of them don't have it. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, Parents desperately need it, especially if you're a new mom, especially if your brand new baby is like in the NICU, you know, maybe they're just premature, but they really need it. Like, do you know of anything like that, that um, they can get funding, um, a little bit of help, basically? Um, Yeah. So in the DMV area, there's a foundation called Ally Foundation, Mm -hmm. and they'll pay a certain percentage of um, sessions. Usually it's like six sessions up to six That's sessions awesome. they'll pay for, um, and the rest will be out of pocket, but it also varies depending on financial circumstances. Yeah, too. right. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that yeah. they probably, to uh, to be applicable for it, they might look at income and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's great yeah. that it's there. Like, I'm. Yeah. that's really there's, good. To there's help. a lot. So, like, it just depends on your racial and cultural identity. Mm-hmm. So there is, or sexual orientation, mm-hmm. um, mental health liberation. They provide micro grants up to 12 sessions. Loveland Foundation does the same thing. Boris, Boris Henson Foundation also does the same thing as 12 sessions. Postpartum Support Virginia offers micro grants. There are small grants to pay for mental health treatment. I think that's all that I work with. Yeah. <laughs> but these are, these are in the DMV area. So they're global somewhere. Okay. And but the my my point for the listeners is what you just said is they're out there. Mm-hmm. So some of some of the ones that you mentioned are global and I'll put that in the notes for anybody who needs it. But then for the ones that are local, if you're not local to us, so um for anybody listening, DMV is like DC, Maryland, Virginia. Virginia so that's yeah. where we're at. Mm-hmm. But if you're not in those areas, then I'm sure they like look for them. Like mm-hmm. They're out there. So that's really good to hear because it's like really so valuable. Um, What are the long-term benefits? So a lot of times um, we think about doing, you know, getting therapy because whatever is your trauma or whatever your challenge is, it's to the point that you're struggling (coughs) through the day. Yeah. So clearly there are short, short-term benefits, right? Because you're going to get therapy, you're going to be able to get through your day. But what do you see as the long-term benefits for parents? The capacity to cope. So you have your toolkit of different coping mechanisms that work for you. Um, also being able to, so I do parts work. And a lot of that means building relationship with parts that we consider bad, like the anxiety and anger. And know, like when you build a relationship with those parts of yourself, 
um, you'll be able to identify what do you need in those moments when you flip your lid and you're angry or you flip your lid when you're anxious and yeah. really having that internal dialogue with yourself of like, okay, I just flipped out on my child and yeah. they did something very small, right. but something in me, something came up in me in that moment. And what is that? What do yeah. I need at this moment that maybe wasn't met at the time? Yeah, that's really good. You, what you're saying is you're, you're recognizing in yourself, um, what your triggers are mm -hmm. and then you're learning coping techniques so that the goal there is to catch it before mm -hmm. it becomes this like full blown Darth Vader <laughs> kind yes. of outburst on yeah. your, your unsuspecting toddler, or, you know, what yeah. have you. And of course, levels of that are very normal, but mm -hmm. We all strive to be the best person, the best parent that we can be. Mm -hmm. So honestly, just anybody, you know, any parent would benefit from these things. Yeah. Um, even realizing that, you know, even you're going to, you're going to flip your lid, recognize mm -hmm. that you're human. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's going to happen. Yeah. It's, it's going to happen. Yeah. You know, I actually want to point out because I, I don't even know, remember where I heard this, if it was a parenting class or something that I read, mm -hmm. but we're all going to do it. We're all going to flip our lid at our kids, mm -hmm. but what really makes the impact for them is how we come back to it. Yep. Yep. So how we come back to them and how we talk to them after the fact. Mm -hmm. So what do you suggest when we like, when we do that? So like, let's pretend we're having like bedtime wars, bedtime battles. Like that's a legit thing for many of us. Yep. And many of us, it ends in yelling every night. So then we wake up and we feel guilty. What do you, how do we, how should we talk to our kids the next morning? I think you should ask them what, what do they notice what happened? How did they feel when you started yelling? Yeah. And then validating their feelings like, yeah, that was really scary when I was yelling. Mm -hmm. And mama was really upset um, because I asked a lot of times, but that's not, that has nothing to do with you. That's about me. Yeah. In that moment. Mm -hmm. And then what can we do? What do you need now for me? to feel happy or safe or whatever words you want to use in that situation. Yeah. Do you recommend, um, speaking of our kiddos, do you recommend um, when parents are going through something um, slightly out of the norm, like if they do have a child with a chronic illness, fam um, not, yeah, family therapy? Mm -hmm. um, and how do you, do you approach that differently than you do one-on-one? -on -one? Not necessarily. It all depends on what our goals are. Mm -hmm. um, and if our goal is for us to communicate and to really articulate how we're feeling, then it's that's what we'll work on. Or if it's coping skills for everyone in the family, identifying what what coping skill will make work for one child or one fam family member is not going to work for the other one. Yeah. And make sure the parents have a toolkit yeah. Of what works for each kid. Yeah. You know, I want to like kind of go back to that toolkit thing um, because you mentioned like one, like one coping mechanism work, may work really great for one kid, may not work really great for the other kid. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's important to say that like the reason why you want to have multiple tools in your toolkit, <laughs> little visitor, <laughs> multiple tools in your toolkit are because there are going to be times where like that thing that always works you suddenly doesn't mm -hmm. and you need something else. 
So kind of going back to what I said, um, what happens when you have been using a tool, it's been working great, and then it all hits you. And that tool you've been relying on is not working. Mm -hmm. That's why we want to have multiple, multiple things to yeah. go to. Yeah. But in, in my personal experience, what I have learned is it's trial and error, like truly. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, what I learned was I found something through therapy that worked really great, but then this one time it didn't. And then I had to scramble to figure out what was going to work good the next time. But mm -hmm. when I, and so then there's that kind of like growing period where mm -hmm. you have to kind of like struggle a little bit, but then you grow from that and then you've got one more tool and then you build upon that. And so I think that's something that therapy does super, super well is it helps you work through a lot of things so that you can start stair-stepping and adding to your toolkit. So um, like, what can you, what kind of ways do you suggest that parents approach that? Do they kind of approach it like you just got to kind of go through the go through the weeds or is there a way to get ahead of it? Um, I think you have to go through the weeds um, because like I was mentioned earlier, like every different tool may not work for you, may not work for your kid. Yeah. And it's figuring out and having a bunch of different options because sometimes let's say deep breathing may not work for you. Maybe it's going to take a hot shower yeah. Or maybe it's going on for a walk and having different variety as part of your wellness plan. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's really important. I think that's hard to hear. We don't want to yeah. feel like, okay, you know, especially if your day-to-day -day is a struggle to know that there's going to be moments where like you can go a little bit lower. <laughs> you can, yeah. but, um, that's the risk of like going to therapy. Like yeah. the risk is you will experience distress, but the benefit is you will also be able to have higher level of self-esteem and it will improve your confidence in your own self and your ability as a person, as a, as a parent and all the different hats that you wear. I'm sure I'm not the first person to make this analogy, but, um, mm -hmm. the thing that pops up for me, um, especially cause we're an active family and we enjoy hikes and getting outdoors is that it's the same as building physical strength. Like mm -hmm. you got to have, you know, you got to really make your muscles tired to the point of discomfort and pain before mm -hmm. you grow. And so it's the same thing with mental toughness and mental yep. strength. You really got to stretch yourself, you know, all out weeds until you grow. And so um, that's just life. That's just life. And whether or not you are listening and you have got a you know, medically complex child or whether you are just going through postpartum anxiety and depression, like we're all doing that. We're all doing that. Yep. So really, really good to hear. So essentially like getting the tools for yourself, talking to a therapist, like that's going to help all of us be better people. Just yeah. like, let's be real guys. We all should be exercising. Like, I don't even care if it's just a walk, but yeah. we yeah. all should be like, you know, physical, physical, um, exercise. exercise. I usually yeah. reframe it because there's, for some people, there's a negative connotation with Ooh. exercising. Yeah. So please. Like any type of movement. I don't care. You do yoga, you just scratch, you go on a brisk walk, or maybe you just mm. walk slowly as long as you're outside. And I love that you said that. Time. 
I'm so glad that you said that. Please jump in and correct me. Yes. So exercise can be a, such a negative connotation for some people. Movement. Beautiful. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use it from now on. We need to yes. move. I like yes. it. Thank you so much. So what would you leave somebody with? Like what, um, what advice, what words of wisdom would you leave somebody with who is kind of struggling and they're on that precipice of do I, don't I, because it's hard to take care of yourself. What would you say to them to give them a nudge? Uh, so a couple of things. One, um, you're not alone in your struggle because oftentimes we feel isolated. We feel like the only one that's struggling, you're yeah. not. And it's okay to reach out for help. Um, oftentimes the stigma of like, it's a weakness to reach out for mental health support. It actually takes a considerable amount of strength to admit that you need help. Yeah. And then secondly, I meant third, sorry, I'm not right up the third one. <laughs> um, if you have the financial resources um, to get help, please do so. And if you don't, it's also not a barrier. Just talk to the healthcare provider. Like I'm considered an out-of-network provider that offer courtesy billing, uh, courtesy filing for out-of-network. But I work with, like I mentioned earlier, all those different organizations that make uh, therapy accessible for those who are struggling financially. Yeah. I'm going to just re-say re or restate one of the things that you said, because mm -hmm. for those listening, you guys are working really, really hard to figure out how to get the best care for your child. You're doing it all the time. You're looking for the right specialist. Sometimes we're like, okay, that specialist, I didn't like what they had to say. They had a terrible bedside manner. And then you're going to see right. another one. You just keep doing it. Mm -hmm. So if you're doing all of that work for your kid, you can do it for yourself and how vital it is to do it for yourself. Um, because if, again, if you have put your oxygen mask on and you're taking care of yourself, think about how much more you have to give to your kid and to your, the rest of your family. So such, such good advice. Thank you so much, Latana. It was so great to have you really, really good nuggets me. of wisdom. Yeah. Yes. And I like, I also, again, I thought of one more thing that I wanted to say that, that you said, I wanted to pull it out again, say yeah. it again, is that you're not alone because mm -hmm. so many people suffer alone and they just think I'm the only one that is going through this experience at this moment and you're yeah. not mm -hmm. and if, and even though even if it's just like postpartum depression or it's something you know a little bit more serious so mm -hmm. you know you you may think man I don't know anybody else like that was me I don't know anybody else whose kid had to potentially have a transplant right after birth yeah and I was like I had such big, big feelings about it. It was hard to talk to people outside of my little circle, but you know, the second that I did, I found out that I was not the only one and that believe yeah. it or not, even though specifically, I may not know a ton of people that had this, this particular issue going on, man, where there are lots of families around that mm -hmm. um, had medically complex kids. And so we don't have to sit here and suffer in silence. Like that's the whole point of, of this podcast is we were not alone. Yeah, so this exactly. is a voice for everybody. So thank you for reminding us. I love it. Yes.
Thank you for having me. All right, it's great having you on. Everybody listening, we are going to air a new episode every Tuesday. So please join us on Tuesdays. You can listen in on Spotify, um, Amazon Music, and YouTube. So if you feel like you need to see our smiling faces, then you can watch or listen on YouTube. So everybody enjoy your week. You're not alone. Stay strong. Bye. Thank you all for joining us on today's episode of Baby Wearing and Breastfeeding, Nurturing Miracles. I hope you found our discussion enlightening and that you leave feeling supported and empowered. Remember, you are not alone on this journey. Tune in next week for more insights and conversations that connect us all in the shared experience of parenting. Until then, take care and cherish every miracle with your little ones.